Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Hello and welcome to another uh, podcast recorded at our Word in Your Park uh, in uh, Holland Park on uh, July the 17th. And this was uh, our old friend, um, a friend of the pod, the great Mark Lewison, uh, the Beatles brain of the universe, I think it's fair to say, Mark, don't you think? Yes, he is. And it, it, he was absolutely riveting. He talked about why the Beatles story is so eternally fascinating, why he never wakes up in the morning and thinks, I should have chosen Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas. And, uh, and various pivotal moments in their history discussed, one in 1961, why Brian Epstein deserves more credit. And uh, uh, my favourite bit, I think, was he tells the story of Mean Mr. Mustard. Isn't that fantastic? See, only Mark Lewison would have discovered that there really was a real Mr. Mustard. And that he was divorced for the very reasons that are mentioned in the song lyric. And isn't he going to his, isn't he going to his house soon? He's found out where he lives. He's, got, he's, he's arranged with the guy who owns the house that he can go and visit it because he wants to, to visit the, uh, the possibly blood-splattered <laughs> sink where he once shaved in the dark. I love all that. Mark Lewison, here he is. Very good. How are you going? Should we begin by the greatest hello, hello. Beatles track of all time? I don't know. We could do. I mean, ours changes every day. But should we? Should we start with the one track that you feel currently never lets you down? Um, I've got. A, I could narrow it down to 150. Yeah. Beyond that, it's a struggle. Um, I'm presently in love with "It Won't Be Long." Oh, all right. Yeah. I mean, I'm in love with all of them, but it's somehow or other, a, a song will, uh, will bubble to the surface, and you think, "Yeah, that's the one." And um, the beauty of the Beatles catalogue is that tomorrow it's going to be something different. Tomorrow it might be If I Fell, or it might be Happiness is a Warm Gun, uh, or Penny Lane. Uh, Paul McCartney is doing a TV series in America at the moment, which has aired the last couple of nights. And they're playing bits of tracks from the original tapes. And you get to hear in isolation as you can in other medium as well. But you get to hear in isolation just like the flutes on Penny Lane and Paul's talking about it. And it's like, God, that's good. 
you know, and, and that is the, the case for the entire catalogue, isn't it? It's just the richest catalogue in popular music history. So it won't be long as today, but ask me again tomorrow. And, and the story itself seems to me to be the most perfect, the most glorious story in yeah. pop history. So why, why is that? Why, why is it just so magnetising? I don't know. I, I'm not a believer in, in higher powers or fate, but so much happens in this story that had to that depended on minute moments of luck um, and happenstance, and it happens all the time throughout the history from the first volume I've written through to the end of the third, which I will be writing, and you just think, is there, was there something actually behind all of this, something unseen, some guiding hand? I don't believe it, but the odds indicate that there was something. They... They just have the best story. I think it, obviously it helps the fact that they were war babies because that meant they were teenagers and we all know that teenage years are the prime music receiving years. They were teenagers when they first heard Elvis. Um, now others might have been teenagers when they first heard Elvis but they heard it in 1956. They heard Heartbreak Hotel when the previous day that didn't exist in their lives. And that changed them at the perfect age, 14, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. And it also coincided, of course, of course with Skiffle, that miraculous music that bubbled up in Britain in the late 50s. And that gave them the opportunity to get up on stage and play, even though they couldn't really play. It was like punk, but 20 years before punk. You didn't have to know more than two or three chords. You just get up and do it. And... Um, with their love of rock and roll and their ability to get up on stage, they got up. And then everything starts to happen. And it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful story in which everything happens and everything plugs into the Beatles and they plug into everything else. So why is my history taking so damn long? I thought you were never going to tell us. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> because there's so much to it. <laughs> I was just talking to Danny Baker. He's reading um, the Orson Welles biography story, biography that um, Simon Callow is writing. And Orson Welles' history is relatively straightforward. It's, you follow the man and you look at the films he made and the relationships he had and the plays and all of that, and you've got the story. But with the Beatles story, it just explodes. And it touches everywhere in the world, even places they never went. Of course, places they never went, because where the Beatles didn't go, their music did and their films did. So it lights fires in youth culture all around the world, and everything happens from the Beatles. They're the great fountainhead. And I'm trying to tell all of that. I'm looking at the story, their story from the inside out, but also their effects on the world from the outside in. And, and what they knew of it, which wasn't much, because they were, it was too much to take on board. I was going to ask Long about answer. some of the details. We, Dave and I went to see your tour, your Hornsey Road tour about uh, Abbey yeah. Road. It's fantastic. Um, Thank you. And there's an amazing detail of that, of many, where you discover that Mean Mr. Mustard <laughs> was based on a real person. Yes. I mean, maybe you can tell that story, but also just give us some idea of other extraordinary insights and, 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 and uh, bits of information you've discovered about them, which, which must be incredibly satisfying, as that would be. Yeah, I mean, I, I, your intro was very good because I do actually get up every day, quite early, 6, 6.30, start work, and absorb myself in the Beatles all day long. And there are people who, misguided fools, you know, they just say, surely you get bored of the Beatles. I mean, it must ultimately get a bit wearisome. It's like, oh, no, not more Beatles. Never. 
because of the richness of the, of the subject. I mean, I've spent this week analyzing my interviews with Klaus Vormann, reading Klaus Vormann's written texts, watching Klaus Vormann interviews. There's a whole week of Klaus Vormann, whose own career, which owes entirely to his friendship with the Beatles, um, is extraordinary. And the things he witnessed and the, mo the places he was at and the things that happened around him, fantastic. That's just one little character in the Beatles story who has a great story. Most people in the Beatles story end up writing their book because their story's good. Not just because they knew the Beatles, but because their story's good. So me, Mr. Mustard, well, I think it's in the Playboy interview just before John was killed, when he said that he had read a newspaper piece um, about this guy, it came from a newspaper. A lot of the Beatles songs, especially in that 67, 8 period, did come from things they saw in the newspaper. Sergeant Pepper, particularly, it's, most of it is from things in the newspapers. So as a researcher, I'm thinking, what newspaper was that then? What date did he see it? What paper did he see? I want to see what he saw. And now it's relatively easy. You can just type it into a search engine and a lot of newspapers are scanned online. That's the easy way. I'm old enough to, to be able to talk about going to the library, getting a British library, great volume of, of newspapers, like um, whatever it might be for the whole of 1963, and you just turn every single page looking for whatever you might find. And I found some great stuff that way whilst looking for something else. One of the problems with search engines is they take you straight to what you're looking for. You don't see what's happening to the left and the right. And if you're telling a contextual history, you kind of need to know that stuff as well. So um, I set out the hard way to find the Mr. Mustard story. And it ended up being June 1967. It was a divorce court story of the kind that newspapers always like, because it had a bit of spice in it. And this woman was divorcing John Mustard, uh, because he was so mean that he wouldn't allow her to have the light on when they were listening, she was listening to the radio, because there were no pictures. There was nothing to see, so therefore you had to turn the light out if you're listening to the radio. Uh, and he shaved in the dark as well. Um, and he monitored the central heating to a, to a minute degree, and you can be very sure that it was cold. Uh, and um, he was a Scotsman. So, of course, Fleet Street loved that because he's a mean Scot and his archetype was Scot as far as Fleet Street was concerned. So it, this got a lot of coverage. It even ended up in newspapers abroad because it went on the wire services. So that was a surprise. And when I did my tour, Hornsey Road, which was about the Abbey Road album, I just thought there's got to be a story here. So I dug deeper into the Mr. Mustard story and found out where he came from. I got his birth certificate and his death certificate, where he had lived, what he had done. He, had, he was a civil servant. Um, and he was married, I think, three times. This was the second wife. Someone else married him after that. This was his second, his second marriage. Uh, and he came from Elgin in Scotland. And of course, the Beatles had played in Elgin because they played everywhere. And I just thought, my God, they played just about half a mile down the road from his birthplace. I think that birthplace should have a plaque on it. Um, but these, these incidents when the wife divorced him, that was happening in Enfield. And I remember you telling me that you went round to the house. Well, a, friend, a friend of mine went and photographed yeah. the house the following morning after yeah. I told him about yeah. it. I actually wrote to the occupant of the house today and said, could I come and have a look at the house inside? I wanted to see the bathroom with, where Mr. Muscle's blood would have been splattered <laughs> from shaving in the dark, you know. But um, sadly, he didn't reply.
It's extraordinary because I remember I was sitting there when you did a, did a dry run of that amazing show and Mark was there, I was there, Richard Williams was there, Paul Denoy was there. Loads of people who know a lot about the Beatles. And, and as you get into the mean mustard mustard story, I heard this whisper go through the room. I never knew that. Yeah, yeah. Which must be, must be a very satisfying yeah. feeling. It, it is, isn't it? It is, of course it is. I mean, I do this research. I, I take years and years over my books and I do all this research, and for a while, I'm the only one who knows it, because I'm the one who's found it. But I'm not a selfish person. I don't want to hang on to, you know, there are people in life who kind of want to hang on to something and nobody else has got it. I'm finding it to share. But there is a period of time, several years often, when I'm the only one who knows it because the book's not out yet. But I do want everyone to know this stuff. And I think at the end of the day, it's because the more you know about the Beatles, the more the more you you love mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33% with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Them because you just form your appreciation level just gets ever deeper because these people were extraordinary and they were doing things without calculation. They'd never had much of a plan. They didn't really ever know what they were doing long in advance. That wasn't the way they worked. Very little of it was actually thought through. So it was real seat of the pants and yet they caught it right every single time. Uh, and when you really look at the detail, Particularly, I think the next book, people think they know the next few years, 1963 to 66. I don't think you do. I think you know the headlines. I think you know the landmark moments. I think you know Palladium, Royal Variety, Hard Day's Night, Help, MBEs, Bigger Than Jesus. Yeah. That arc. But it's what happens underneath it that is so unbelievable. It just gets better and better and better. And I can't wait for you all to read it. So when's it coming out? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I'm really, really sorry. I can't give you a date. I can't give you Roughly even a in year. Roughly years, three no, years, four I, years? Yeah, something like that. 
Yeah. I, I really don't know. I mean, every time I've set a date on this project, it, it ended up it ends up looking like a joke. So um, I've stopped making predictions. You I'm know the people I'm nowadays go to it. the doctors and say, "Doctor, will I live long enough to read yeah. the third yeah. volume of Mark yeah. Lewison's?" Yeah. yeah. You realise it's a regular question that get put. What you mean for other people? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I see. Well, that's nice. That's nice. Um, I mean, I worry about myself um, in addition to worrying about other people, but. What can you do? I mean, I don't want to shortcut it. At the end of the day, when it's out, it won't matter that it took X amount of years because it'll be out. And it'll be out forever from that point on. Whether it comes out in 2023 or 2025 or whatever won't matter in 2027. So, but I'm aware of my own mortality and I, I feel fine at the moment, but, you know, <laughs> I keep taking my temperature. Reading that first book, I, I felt agonised by the moments where it could all just suddenly fall apart and there wouldn't be a Beatles. There's a bit where they go to, to play a little date in, in, in Aldershot in 1961 to about 12 people. Yeah. And you think it's so catastrophic. Of course, the effect is, in fact, they go back and decide to sack their manager and sign up with Brian Epstein. Were there other moments where you felt that it, it really could have, at any moment, just fall, fallen apart? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a salutary tale about the Beatles because one of the things we know about them and love about them is the fact that when they were visible, 1962 to 70, their speed of progression is dramatic. So they go from please please me to uh, I'm a loser in two years, they go to Tomorrow Never Knows in another two years, the White Album is only four years after A Hard Day's Night and so on. That, that, that speed is breathtaking and it's something that everyone recognises as being a hallmark of their brilliance. What surprised me, although it shouldn't have done, was the fact that that was already going before they were in the public eye. When they were in Liverpool, they, were, they had that same speed. And their, their, their real time as the, the kings of, of beginning to be flourishing music scene in Liverpool is the second half of 1961. They get back from their second trip to Hamburg and they are undoubtedly the kings of the scene, which means they're playing all the little clubs and, and halls and so on, which were rough places, a lot of fights, and they're getting attention of girls, and the teddy boys are jealous, and quite difficult nights. But they're playing two, three times a day, and they're getting more money than anybody else, and they are undoubtedly the hottest act. Bob Wooler, who was a DJ at most of those shows, wrote an incredible piece about them in Mersey Beat. In 1961, nothing like them will ever happen again, he said. And they, they're a year from making a record. He was so right. But the thing about the Beatles is they got bored very quickly. That was why they kept moving on. And by the end of 1961, they're on the circuit, and that's what it is. They're doing you know, this haul on a Monday, and that haul on a Tuesday, and this haul on a Wednesday, every week. And they're bored. You know, it's okay being kings, but they're bored. What next? Where can we go next? What can we do? And we're stuck because this is Liverpool and where else do we go? And Bob Wooler says, said in his lifetime, um, if Brian Epstein hadn't come along at the moment that he did, they would have broken up because they were bored. Because it wasn't, they'd reached the ceiling and where do you go? And Brian Epstein in the nick of time came along and said there's a bigger ceiling over there we can go and go to that one as well and he said to them you, you, you boys will be, will be bigger than Elvis and he was absolutely right I mean for anyone to say the Beatles would have been bigger than Elvis is like someone saying now to a band you're going to be bigger than the Beatles it's that impossible 
But Brian believed it, and Brian was obviously the best thing that could possibly have happened to them. And with Brian, they went off, and two years later, is Beatlemania. Jump, jump uh, into the present. Where, you know, the, one of the big film events of this year seems to be Peter Jackson's yeah. Let It Be, Get Back, whatever we call it. Get Back. I think it's what are you expecting of that, and are you looking forward to it? Oh, massively! Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, I was so thrilled the other week because all along we've been expecting a film um, in the cinema, which would be probably tops two hours, uh, and suddenly now it's been announced as being three two-hour events on television. So we're going to get six hours because f f for me and probably many people here. Two hours, really, you, you just left one. You might love it, but you, you're wondering what about the other 54? Because I think they've got something like 56 hours of film. But six is a really decent meal. It's not an hors d'oeuvre. It's, it's actually a proper hefty meal. And um, so we're going to see six hours of stuff we've never seen before. And the thing about the Beatles is you can learn from every single photograph, every little minute clip of film, every document. That's what I spend my time looking for, pieces of paper. And so six hours of new film that we haven't seen before, it's going to be... Sensation, And you're very familiar with all that material, because I can remember we talked to you a couple of years ago, and uh, 50 years later, to the day, yeah. you were getting up every morning and listening to the recording of what they recorded of For Let It Be on that day 50 years before. That's right. It was all done, and it was all shot in January 1969, and I decided in January 2019 to mark the 50th anniversary, I would listen to the available audio. I think Peter Jackson has had something like 56 hours of film, um, but there's about 97 hours of audio that's been circulating unofficially for about 20 years. And I went to an event once, and some chap very kindly said to me, here are CDs of the January 1969. It was like 120 discs. And I put them all up on the wall and thought, I've got to listen to those. And the perception was always for nearly, well, for 50 years, from 69, fed by the Beatles, that these were the most miserable sessions and everyone was arguing and unhappy. And I just thought, oh God, I've got to listen to all of those. And there had been a few bootlegs, Sweet Apple tracks and things like that from the 70s that weren't particularly inspiring. So I'd set myself this challenge in January 2019 of matching on each anniversary date, January 2 when they began, I began, January 3, I did January 3 and so on, which was a bit tricky because the calendar in 69 didn't match 2019. So I had to do all weekends because for them it was a midweek, that kind of thing. But I just decided to do it and it was a complete revelation to me because it was hugely enjoyable and a very positive experience and they didn't argue at all. And I thought, well, how come we've always been told they argued the whole time? And Peter Jackson has now looked at all the film and he says the same. But also you've got to listen to and look at all of it because if you don't, there could be some incredible nugget that you've missed, oh, yeah, which is I incredibly must. telling. I must. I mean, the thing is I also, I needed to do it then because people would say, well, you're not writing about 69 till book three. I need to, this is a great opportunity to hear them talk to one another. Although they know that it's being filmed and recorded, it's their own unit that's doing it, so they're not having to be guarded in any way. And besides which, it's all day, every day, and after a while, you're, you're just ignoring the camera and the microphone. And I needed to hear in depth how they spoke to one another, what their shorthands were, what their jokes were, um, what they talked about. And of course, 
being mates, they talk about past experiences, and they talked about things that are in volume two. Talked about being at a gig and Johnny Cash coming backstage, we're in America, I do have the note somewhere. Johnny Cash came backstage and mistook Tony Barrow, who was their press agent, for Brian Epstein. And they, were, they found that funny then, and they still remembered it in 69, and were laughing about it still. And I just thought, oh, I need to know that. I mean, that's something about Johnny Cash in 65. So it was an important job to do, but the biggest thing was that it changed my head. And I think the Peter Jackson film is gonna change people's heads. There is the possibility that he's gonna whitewash it, but from reading his interviews, I think it's quite clear that he isn't. And refreshingly, the Beatles seem to have been quite hands-off. I don't think they've given him any steerage at all. I think he's just made the By film. By whitewash, you mean to take make. out the bits where they appear to be worn? Yes. Yeah. And I just mean, paint a, a, an optimistic picture. Yes. Yes. To put too, to go too much the other way to say, look, it wasn't an unhappy month. It was a jovial month. Um, but I think actually he's just going to tell it straight. I think it's it's long enough ago now for them not to have to worry about. Um, you know, certain things coming out in the open that they'd rather not. Yeah, I mean, it's all, one of the things that I'm dealing with on a daily basis is how long ago this is. I had lunch on, in London on Wednesday with um, Peter Brown, who worked with Brian Epstein in Liverpool, came to London, eventually was the Beatles guy at Apple. Um, he's 80, 84, and he's about the last, well, one of the very few left and he's 84, and you realize, yeah, I, I was always the kid in all of this. When I first got into the Beatles, writing about them, I was the boy. Um, and I, I, I got treated a little bit like the young one, you know. And I'm in my 60s now. So it's a long time ago. Hmm. Well, look, we like to joke about word in your ear that we've been engaged in the last 18 months of work of national importance. This is a man who's engaged in work of international importance. International rescue. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Lewison. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.